Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. On the Sideline, a podcast for coaches and aspiring coaches, where we share the best practices of coaching, interview with coaches, and experts in the field of coach education. Here's your host, Vin Blaine. Hi, Vin. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's great having you on. I, I happen to be a regular reader of the Total Football Analysis magazine. And this is where I came across your article on coaching patterns of play in the 4-2-3-1 formation. I like the, the, the topic because it's a very current one with the, with the formation. But before we get deep into it, there are just two questions I want to get out of the way right now first, and then you can take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. We can start off by looking at the characteristics of formation. What are the characteristics of the 4-2-3-1 formation? I suppose these characteristics might, they're not really exclusive to that formation. Some maybe, some maybe not, but uh, we'll, we'll go through them anyway. Let's start with a, a, in possession or in attack. I suppose the 4-2-3-1, where I have really seen it hold its value, is those core five players. So, I mean, I suppose if, you, if your coaches out there, your listeners can visualize a tactics board in front of them, you have your four, your back four. Just up in front, you have your two mid holding midfielders. Just up in front of them, you have your three attacking midfielders. And then up ahead, you have your center forward, right? So it's those middle five where I really see the formation hold its value. So the two hold midfielders, the two wide midfielders, and the center attacking midfielder. And uh, the, the reason being is that if you really box them off, they really offer, if the two wide midfielders come in, they really offer a central overload in attack. So, which is very good if you're if you're a possession-based team or you want to control the game, it's you really got to have uh, that extra numbers in midfield. So they offer that. Um, playing around that, then you'll have if they come inside the wide midfielders, then you have your fullbacks who will really command and operate in the wide channels. Mm-hmm. So that's your left side, your right side as your outlet, your outlet up in front or your focal point to your attack, which I suppose we'll, we'll I'll expand on in a moment, which is the centre forward. So he should really, he or she should really be playing on the shoulder of the last defender and really being that center forward, that focal point of the attack. And then likewise, from supporting from behind, you have your center backs, right? Your two center backs who, who should be comfortable ball carriers, receiving a back pass and maybe transition player to the other side. So starting going inside of that again, I mean, going one level deeper and talking about positions. The real key players I would look at it that is, well, the one to carry the highest value is... Uh, the central attacking midfielder. Because mm-hmm. that's your player you're looking at who has the most license of, of freedom and, and creative play. Insofar as they really get to operate between the opponent's defense and midfield. So they're always looking to receive in those pocket of spaces, also on both sides of the field. So they get to journey. If, if, the, if the play is perhaps developing on the left side, coming up the left, they can really come over, support the play there. Likewise, if it goes over to the right, they support the play in there. So the, the value of that is they're a difficult player to mark, 
they can pick the ball up in good pockets of space and uh, in doing so they they can uh, really create good goal scoring opportunities outside of the box again uh, looking at the wide midfielders if they come inside uh, again just going back to our visual of our tactics board here Mm -hmm. uh, you have your wide midfielders Um, I suppose as a coach as well I've done it probably in, in two ways I've had wide midfielders who stayed wide and I've had wide midfielders who come in but I'd say generally for success and really to get full value of that formation, you'd probably be looking at inverted wingers, players who would maybe take a step inside the field and offer that channel to the fullbacks to really operate in there. And uh, yeah, so again, it, like in possession there, with with that fluidity of movement you of those midfield five, it can easily become a 4-1-4-1, mm-hmm. a 4-4-1-1, or a, if the two wingers push on, you have a, a 4-3-3. Uh, yeah. So that's... Uh, that, that's kind of where, where I'd see in a nutshell or it tactically it holds its value yes. in attack. Yes. On the defensive side, I suppose this is where the, the formation really um, shows its worth is in its two holding midfielders. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's three points for this, uh, Vin. One, the first one is that the two holding midfielders screen passes to, to the strikers. So by cutting off that central channel, the strikers cannot really receive passes, mm-hmm. hold up the play, and bring other players into attack. So as a consequence, the opposition will have to graduate their attacks into wider areas. And from there, a team that will understand that and will have dictated that is in a, is in a better position really to, to create pressing opportunities, traps and, and oppositions to, to kill the play and it better again transition to attack from there. The second point on that is that one of those hold midfielders can can shift across out wide, deny yes. deny the opposition kind of numerical overload. Right. And uh, the third point on that as well is, and one thing you don't want happening to you is that your back four gets stretched. So really you don't want your two centre-backs coming too far over. Exactly. And to avoid that happening, you might have one of your holding midfielders drop into that back line. So really that's where I found it hold its value. Uh, both in attack and on defense. Right. So even if the four and five shift over to the right, say per se, then the number six can drop and, and give that uh, balance around the 18-yard box. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Because okay. if you can just kind of go for a very simple image of two centre-backs who come too far over, right? Right. You, you know, you have that danger of the penalty area and the back post. Open, yeah. However, generally uh, your centre-backs are going to be the ones who are best placed or have the best ability to offer defensive headers. Yes. So you might not want even want them stretched across. Exactly. So it's, it might be the holding midfielder who offers himself into that space right, right. between agree. the fullback. Agree, you know? agree. That's a very good uh, look at uh, how we should open the conversation. Now, your article focused on patterns of play, which I think mm-hmm. is very important. It doesn't say what you practice is what happens in the game, but at, exactly. least, at least you have an idea if the situation arises, then you know exactly how the players will move, how your teammates are going to be moving, based on how we train. Exactly. Yeah. Right? So yeah. maybe in a nutshell, no, no, then I probably say some things relating to that. But why coach patterns of play? Why coach patterns of play? Um, first of all, uh, generally, if you if you think about a, a team that doesn't have, let's say, a, a model of attack or a model of p- possession or passing a moving combination. They're purely going on the basis of receive, scan options, pass, receive, scan options, pass. And at that speed and at that tempo, uh, there's not really much opportunity to really cause any surprise or, or chance for penetration on the opponent's defense. 
Um, and also, as a consequence, can lead to a lot of higher uh, turnovers due to a lot of technical errors or tactical errors. However, on the flip side of that, if you have a team that, again, you could practice these patterns of training, right, which we all have, but come match day, you may get secondary success. So it's not necessarily the pattern we see, right. but you see players have a better understanding of rotations, of movement, of horizontal rotations, vertical rotations, or a hybrid of, of both. But you might have a winger who steps inside, a center forward who goes into the channel, uh, vice versa. So by having, by having players who understand um, good rotation, good principles of play, body shape, uh, speed of play, one touch, two touch when possible, you then have a team that's more comfortable and more confident in possession. And that's just something I found coming from the training ground into the games versus not really giving, leaving it open to, to randomness, if, if I can use that word. No, that, that is a perfect word for the layperson. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly, yeah. Because yeah. You're, so what you're saying, you, know, you almost have a, like predetermined passing movements and player movement in that pattern of play. You, you, can, you can generate that. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head, Vin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Predetermined passing and moving combinations. Okay. Definitely. All righty. Yeah. All right. So I go, as I said, I go back to the article. I keep referring to that because that's, it's our discussion will be based on that. Sure. And um, I saw one of the areas you discussed was the orientation of the 4-2-3-1. Can you touch yes. on that for me? Yeah. Now, that would complement what we meant about the characteristics, but uh, we're looking at those prime players understanding their functions. One of the things I learned is I'll, I'll really flip to a real-life situation we had, which was the first time, I actually remember the first game, we, we moved to a 4-2-3-1. We'd only two training sessions to prepare. Uh, we were against a tough opposition. But we were a good possession-based team, right? So these are my U16 boys, right? So what actually happened was we used to play a 4-3-3. And one thing we didn't really consider too much for, we were so focused on our build-up play, getting into the opponent's half, uh, developing in, in wider attacks in wide areas. Mm-hmm. And what was actually happening as a consequence of, of all our good possession, let's say, for example, uh, we, we want to throw in in our opponent's final third. Well, fullback takes the throw in, right? Winger comes across to support, as you know. Center attack and midfielder comes across to support. And holder midfielder comes across to support. So they're all marked. So who's the free player who comes to support? It's the center forward. So the center forward comes and receives the pass, which is great. He receives the throw in, he lays off, but all of a sudden we've no target. In the box, we've, we've really no, no one operating in there to get on the end of crosses. So as a result of overplay in wide areas, we were actually susceptible to a lot of, to a lot of counterattacks, which we, which we got hurt on. So one thing we kind of had to discover very early in the game was the importance of the center forward literally being a center forward. They've got to be a target player, you know? Yes, yes. And um, that, that's really key and that's really uh, the, to making that formation work because, again, going back to that point, when uh, you're out of possession, you're defending, you're in a defensive shape, mm-hmm. you win the ball back, you go to transition to attack, you've got one forward on their own. And generally in those moments, if you play a ball to them, the distance of support with their teammates is usually quite big. So they got to, you know, the their role really there is is about uh, hold the play, protecting the ball and bringing the other players into into play. Versus when you have a let's say a four four two or a um, a four three three where there maybe is closer distances of support, it's different. Mm-hmm. So having our centre forward understand his role, that as a lone striker, right? That that was that was key for us to to really target and and get down early. Um, I know I kind of drift and go into. Levels into certain points, but uh, 
No, if I, you want to revert, you can go. Yeah, so so that again, that was that was a kind of key. And you know what, um, Ben? You mm-hmm. know, we were just speaking earlier on uh, the the formation itself. Right. You know, some people. The four-two-three-one was a formation that really was. It was a fashionable formation in the last decade of a lot of top European clubs. It, these days, it's it's not really so much in a lot of places. But there are there are a couple of teams who are, who play it well still, and one of them being right now is is Arsenal. I think any of your listeners out there want to see the four-two-three-one played well. I think you, you got to look at Arsenal how they play um, under Mikel Arteta. Mm-hmm. But as well, not. Almost two summers ago, we had the men's 2018 World Cup, right? Mm-hmm. And two teams that championed that formation made it all the way to the final, Croatia and France. Mm, France. They played 4-2-3-1. Right. And uh, if you look who played in those um, number 10 roles, the center attack and midfield, you had Antoine Griezmann for France, you had Luka Modric for Croatia. Both, with respect to their teams, are probably the most skillful and creative players within their teams, right? So it is a formation that hasn't gone out of fashion. It's a hold it. It is uh, once it's understood and prepared for and trained and played well, it really offers a lot of value. And it, and you can morph into different uh, different formations easily too, because you said uh, that the four one four one in a more attacking formation. That's what I like about it, that the flexibility of the two holding midfielders. And with the, yeah. two, with the two channels opening wide, the number 11 and 7 can go easily and, and create overload in, in the midfield. So uh, how about the characteristics of players, the roles and responsibilities of players in this formation? Give me your, give me your position on that. Um, we're looking at your 10 outfield players. And let's just, let's just look at it, start with a scenario. I mean, if you want to build out from the back, you have, your, you have your back four. So typically in a back four, I mean, it's well understood. Both centre-backs would split. Like, let's say we're playing a short pass out from the goalkeeper. Yeah. Both centre-backs split. Both full-backs push on, right? Into the, probably around the halfway line and really offer themselves on, to hold the whip. So then the two central options then become, like you just said, your your double pivot or your your two sixes, if you want to call it that. Right. Now, generally, they, they do not play flat. They in the, In these moments, they usually play staggered off each other. They might rotate it into different levels, um, but generally they are the central options. And what I would say is to, to, your co- to the coaches out there who, who do train this, who are maybe looking to discover this formation, that it is a formation, again, that offers its central overload. So keeping that in mind, the passing options are the free man maybe inside. So when working with my players, I would, I would, I would promote and encourage definitely in, 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 our, in our training that they're comfortable to ask for that ball to move into to those pockets of space. Mm-hmm. My holding midfielders, I mean. So first pass goes out to the centre-back. If the, if the pass out wide to the full-back or the winger is blocked, can he then play into one of the free holding midfielders? And has he got the courage to take that? So particularly working with a, you know, youth players, a U16, U18, U21, um, that's not always something that comes easy. Sometimes even that takes a bit of training, but that's key to getting that, getting that success. Again, you're looking at that center attacking midfielder as well. The value they hold, again, uh, they come across. Wide players are marked man for man. Mm-hmm. They come across, they support their, their winger or their fullback. They, can, they serve a great deal in either unlocking the wide channel to get, her, to get in behind or even the half space. So, I mean, if we let's say we go to take it, an example at the very top level. Uh, Mesut Ozil is very good at that in terms of he'll go wider than his fullback. Right. And by going wider than his fullback, he's engaged in the opposition fullback. So if the fullback doesn't go to him, he's free to, to receive a pass in the channel uh, in behind. 
or if he's engaged, he gets to release a player who's making a run in the half space. Right. So again, that player, that that number ten, is 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 crucial in uh, creating those gaps because the number nine again has to stay central there, has to really occupy that. The two central that, defenders. Exactly. Uh, and I don't really know if you kind of want to lead into different positions there, but uh, again, like like I said to you there, because I I wouldn't really I wouldn't really operate with two left footers on the left and two right footers on the right. For me, one will serve you the, the one function you need. So offering that inverted inverted winger, winger yes. uh, almost complements and supports the, the overlapping fullback mm -hmm. to really take on down the channel. And the inverted winger, if he wants to step inside with the ball, it's on his safe side, right? He's protected. Mm -hmm. And he also can serve a purpose of, of causing imbalance, yes. engaging the defender and carrying the ball inside. Messi does that a lot, comes in on his left, left, left foot. So I, I, I like that exactly, approach. Yeah. Yeah, I like that approach. Yeah. All right. Uh, I know you emphasize two patterns in the wide area and central areas. Um, you can start with any area you want and take your time to explain and maybe give me two different sure. options, right? So go with whichever one you want to go with now. Well, I suppose, again, like we're talking in, uh, we're coming through sound waves yes. uh, to, to the coaches, but. <laughs> yes. uh, well, we'll try. We'll try to be simple and visual. Yes. Uh, let's start with a very simple one that will maybe unlock your your uh, your set your seven or eleven mm -hmm. to really get in behind. Right. So let's say you have a fullback. He steps up. He's in a good position to engage the defender, and he has a passing option to, like this would be one of the the uh, wide patterns they outlined in the article. So he plays a long long firm ground pass into the centre forward. Again, that first pass is key because a long ground pass. If he has to take two or three touches, it may kill the play. So if it, it can be a good pass early, that you, you're on your way to, to getting success. So let's say the right midfielder comes to show for the right back. He's brought the fullback with him, touch tight on his, on his jersey. The right back plays up to the center forward, the number nine. He in turn lays it off maybe to the center attacking midfielder or the center midfielder just beneath him. So as he drops off that pass, at the same time, that right midfielder can spin into that space behind in the channel. So first pass center forward, second pass to center midfielder, third pass into the channel to meet the run of the right winger. So that's that was that's one common that's one common pattern that my players would know well now and are quite comfortable playing. Again, coming to the sound waves, we've got to be quite visual, but I hope that was yeah, clear as mud. They'll get the idea. They'll get the idea. Once you use it, yeah, numbers, yeah. they'll get the idea. Yeah, yeah. And again, like we said, one thing we coach them, I mean. Uh, I'd be interested to understand your own language and, and how you coach, uh, Vin. Mm -hmm. But my players would probably understand the term what if. Yes. So Yeah, exactly. So so what if would be, we want to pass A to B to C to D. Mm -hmm. So we pass A to B, but B cannot pass to C. Right. So we may have to pass back to A or pass on to D. Right. So that's it in, in layman's there, in logic, yes, right? Yes, yes. So the, we would go through by setting up zones in the training ground or on one half of the field or condition games, they would be better able to understand their own what-ifs. So the players, I demand of them that they, they, they have a good awareness for those reasons, that don't take for granted that just because we practice this, this will be on. There may be even a better pass or, uh, or a pass that you're forced to help retain possession. So players have to understand the pattern yes. and also the what-if. What-if is, is important. Definitely. I, I absolutely subscribe to that. I mean, totally. Um, because again, we, we cannot, it's where players' confidence comes from. And again, if you want to be a coach with a possession-based team, yes, you've got to have players who understand, here's my first option. Here's the attack and run. It's not on. Great. Here's option ABC that I can take afterwards. 
again, they, they may be subsequently better options than, than what you initially prepared for. Or again, they may be options that you're forced to retain possession. But yeah, so long as you have players... Uh, give your players the freedom and, and the mindset to, to discover those in training, you're, you're on your way. Right. And uh, the other area is um, your central pattern, which is sometimes more difficult uh, because yes, of compactness in, in, in the middle of the pitch. But I find, and you, you tell me if you subscribe to what I'm, I'm saying now, I find that if you, if you have patterns of play going down the middle of the pitch, central areas, it, can yes. open, it op- normally opens the wide areas for you to, to, to play into quickly. Exactly. Is that your yeah, finding? Yeah, absolutely. And with it before you even said that, that was the first thing that came to my mind. You want to open the middle, you engage the wide areas. Mm-hmm. You want to open the wide, you engage the middle. So absolutely. And, it, and it's about using those those um, temporary pockets of space and gaps when they're on. Um, but again, there's players that maybe they do not receive a pass mm-hmm. in a pattern. And this is what I'd say to coaches out there who, who are working on patterns of play. Make sure all the other players know that they, they don't switch off because they may not receive a pass. Right. They're serving a function mm-hmm. by pulling pulling the defenders. So, for example, like a central option we had a, um, that was outlined in the article. We had a right back playing to the center forward who dropped short. Mm-hmm. And then there was a center attacking midfielder making a run from deep, a third man run. Mm-hmm. So he gets that. But if the right winger does not hold his width, then that gap's not on to play that back. Right. So it's so crucial that that supporting players who are who don't get a touch of the ball understand they, they have high value to their movement. Mm-hmm. So you see, oftentimes we are, we are, this, this will reach uh, young coaches and coaches who, who, who um, are still learning, and even coach even experienced coaches sometimes we fall down. But it's important that the players are away from the ball. They are important to the whole movement, although they might not be involved in the play directly. But yeah. their positioning, holding their position, will create the space exactly. for, for it to happen. Uh, so I find that central, central movement is good, and I like that. And I like what the question to you, though. Okay, so we are 4-2-3-1. We, we are so I, obviously, I was playing against like a 4-3-3. Our strength relies some, oftentimes in the midfield with, a, with an overload. Uh, so yeah. Would you say that's our strength down the middle that we have? We, we can look at uh, overloads in midfield. Yeah. So again, for for a topic like this, and to to be really clear and, and to mm-hmm. get the best understanding. Yes. So right now we're just speaking in terms of no, but you, you're right to to, to uh, get the best understanding. We we got to talk football by numbers. Right. Right. So right. really, what units offer have superior numbers, mm-hmm. and again by those wide midfielders uh, cutting inside. Because if you think about it, how the 4-2-3-1 is almost a 4-3-3, you have your two holding midfielders and your number 10. So they, all, they marry up to, to the 4-2-3 in the middle. But should your wide players tuck inside and become inverted and your, and your full, uh, wing backs operate on the channels, then you've got that overload in the what we, you know, what we call the half space. And I kind of hope that terminology is, is, under, is understood by the, you know, a lot is, of your listeners. It is... Um, yeah, yeah. It's up there now, you see. So they, yeah, they understand exactly. half space. So maybe, maybe, maybe what you want to do is is because it's, it's something that is being really, really current now. The half space. Could you just give a, look, a quick idea what when you say half space? What do you mean? So your listeners can yeah, understand. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if, if you look at the the, the pitch in a, in a vertical uh, view, not a horizontal view, vertical view. So the bottom is one box, the top is the other box. So basically, if you draw there's five vertical channels. Mm-hmm. 
So let's start with the central channel, which would probably be the width of the six-yard box, right? So that goes all the way down. So then working out from the left and working out from the right, halfway between the sideline and halfway point, point between the sideline and the edge of the six-yard box, you can draw another line. Do that on both sides, you've got five channels. So the widest channel is your, your wide channel, but the next channel inside there is what's commonly referred to as the half space. So it, it's, that, it's that area of operating in there. Now, that's what's been commonly understood. I know there's a lot of studies and, and there are great reports on teams like Man City, Pep Guardiola, who's been doing it for years. And I think that's perhaps one of the people who really, um, Pep Guardiola is one of them coaches who really brought it to uh, us common folk in the football world. Um, it became more of a popular concept, right? So in terms of gridding the, or mapping the field. And so it's, it's a space, the half space is always there, but we don't, we don't find a, found a name for it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we needed somebody to draw a line. Yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right. Uh, so central patterns are important, divide patterns are important, because we want coaches to understand that preparing for a game, they should have options, and the options only come with situations that you coach and the patterns that you coach, right? You, have, you might have two, three patterns for the same side on the right, depending on, your, depending on the players that you have and the characteristics of the players you have sometimes. Although you want to try and do the same, you might do a pattern on the right and do the same pattern on the left. But on the left, you might not have that overlapping wing back that can go and come back. So you might not want to uh, exactly. operate there, right? Okay, exactly. so, so we, we, we choose wisely. <laughs> All right. Exactly. Yeah, go, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You know what, Vin, yes. just going on, on back to your point there, I know we were kind of, we got onto another level there when we we're comparing up the formations. Mm -hmm. I used to play a 4-3-3 quite often. Right. And one of the things I found was we were getting hurt on the counterattack because of our two wide players were caught too high very often. So we would shift around, you know, depending on, you know, everything, everything in football is relative to the opposition. We right. may have a plan, yes. but let's say they mar they match up with us in the same formation. Maybe in the 80 85th minute, it's it's nil all. Maybe you you'll be the, you'll be the manager who changes formation to to really get the advantage. So it's always relative to the opposition as well. But in terms of what you were mentioning there about understanding those patterns, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I've got come to appreciate in in my years of coaching is that. We may have a we may have a hundred message tactical messages mm -hmm. for our players, mm -hmm. but if we just give a good one good message that corrects the mindset, mm -hmm. we don't all those one hundred messages are are born out of that mindset. So instead of saying you go here, you go there, you think like this, you shouldn't go here when he goes there. If you give them the confidence, so for example, I mean my last game. I know we've been out of soccer for a while, but my last game, my pre-match talk was not about. How many goals should we be up or how many goals can we get by halftime? It was my players understand my language to them and, and they understand our principles of possession with progression. Mm -hmm. And that includes our patterns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it includes, mm -hmm. let's be comfortable in possession. We don't force, we don't worry about avoiding errors. We, we, we react if we need to move into space and, and use our common sense. If we need to read our teammates' options early, mm -hmm. good body shape one, two touch passes and understand that when you get into the final third, you're not going to have that long amount of time. So yes. perfect passes. I always, I always, I always, 
even though I they can't I can't expect it of them. They understand that I say perfect passes, perfect passes, <laughs> yeah. always. Yes. Right side of the body, right way to pass, right time of pass, perfect pass. And once we come in half time, if if they're comfortable and again, these are my youth teams, right? So yes. if they if they're comfortable at that time, then you know, you can get a goal in a minute. You can get two goals in two minutes. I've seen it happen. It's happened to me. It's happened for me. <laughs> so yeah. happened against me and happened for me. But, you know, as I'm sure you'd be familiar, when, you, when you're an educator, educator to youth players and you're working in academies, you, you know, and it depends what's mandated to you by your, your club, you know, you may, you may want to focus on other things and not just the urgency for a goal and keeping out goals, you know? Right, it's very important. Okay, now to... When training, when training's uh, patterns of play, what's what's the biggest challenge you think you, as a coach you'll come across? One hundred percent. It is always when do one, two, or three players together recognize and execute a pattern in a competitive game. Things are happening so fast, so much intensity, and who's to say in that moment, whatever stage of the game we're at, that they can see it, or that they'll read both read each other's movement at the same time. Mm-hmm. So. One thing that may help with that is on-field communication. So maybe one of your, your, maybe if you have a good vocal player in there or, or even the ball carrier is happy to do it, someone who's, who's happy to give a message. And one thing, we, again, which I mentioned in the article, which I would coach my players on is triggers. Right. So if somebody's already making that run mm-hmm. into your space, maybe you can understand that that's your trigger mm-hmm. to move back into 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 central area, wide to central, central to wider, right. or vertically, high to low, low to high. Um, so typically the play will be coming from deep, right? So you'll be going up the field, more, more often than not, rather than backwards <laughs> So right. for a pattern. So, right. so generally it's that movement in front, it's those trigger movements in front. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the uh, important within that, as I see, is, is the right timing of movement by the players. Something, you just said it just now, you know, the, the way they rotate, you know, one high, one low, one low, one high, you know, uh, that is important. It, because I've, why I, I want to get to, because even in training, when players are not used to being coached in that way about patterns of play, a lot of young coaches and inexperienced coaches will go to the, the, the training session and, and, and just decide to play. You know, but never, mm-hmm. never had a, never had a plan on, on how, how to get by um, a team, or a weak, the weakness of a team, and but um, which 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 uh, includes yes. the, the the patterns of play. That's the easiest way. Right. Right. So this, I agree that that, that is the biggest challenge that as coaches that we have, is to convince them to be focused. You know, I always re- refer to like American football. You know, they have, they have set players, they have numbers, they call the numbers, and everyone on the field know exactly where they should run to and get success from it. So I believe that, uh, the, the, as I said, I agree with the challenge. The challenge is to, for the players to be able to read the game, read the opponent's patterns, because if it can be, yes. if, if it's changing the game, it's, you know, it's something they should look for, um, Ian. Part, sorry, apologies, Vin, could you just repeat that last bit? No, I'm just saying it is important that the players and their team recognize the the, the shifting patterns or or the system that that the opposition is playing. You know, I think that's important, huh? It absolutely is. Uh, It absolutely is. You're you're dead right in tactical reading. But if I can even leave, I mean, this one message, if there was one takeaway I could give a coach who's who's probably read these patterns or or who has tried patterns before. Here's here's one initiative that I'd say has been more effective in giving me success. Mm -hmm. Train one pattern, just one. 
go into your game at the end and say to players in our game, if you score a goal off of this pattern, it's worth three goals. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you're not giving them too much to focus on. And they're looking for maybe just two or three pass-move combination, right? Right. Secondly, then, if you can, if you are at that level and, and you're a coach who brings the training ground into the game, can you then say to them ahead of, ahead of a game, before games, that, um, well, you may not even need to say it to them, that it could be so practiced and understood as, as how players operate in terms of their habits, mm-hmm. um, that they get to develop these habits. But can you remind them of it? Can you tell them that those opportunities are on? And to seek them out when they can, you know. So, uh, again, just training that, keeping it simple. I mean, players can g- g- let them develop their confidence from the simple. Don't don't overload because there's two or three patterns there that you, you got to use all of them. Mm-hmm. I agree totally there. All right, let me let me note we have sort of a outline the, the four two three one and the, um, patterns in the central and the wide areas. It is the same probably with the different formations, but there must be some little difference. For instance, I know you, I know you did something on 4-3-3, I think 4-4-2. Yes. Right? If there are any differences between the 4-3-3, if you're, if you're developing a pattern of play, I know it's, so, it, it, it's very <laughs> simplistic, but, because we can say, yes, it's the same thing. But we, know, we are now looking at three, six players in the last two lines, right? How, what, what can be a difference in, 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 a, in a pattern of play for a 4-3-3 formation? Right. So, I mean, what are the advantages of the 4-3-3, if we, if we just preface with this, mm-hmm. is that having three forwards and two wide forwards, they serve to help pin the fullbacks back. Right. So that, there's your starting position. So again, let, you know, as we're coming through sound waves, can we imagine the top half of the tactics board. So in a 4-3-3, you have your three midfielders and up in front, three forwards. And a 4-4-2, you have, again, six players, but four across the middle and two in front who are central. So it's about, I suppose, about, uh, wow, everything is really relative, I suppose, in, in yeah, the moment yeah. to the opponent. But um, generally in wide areas with the 4-4-2, um, and in formations like those where the wingers stay either at mid-level or low, that... The, the attacks will come from deep. Whereas in a, in a 4-3-3 rotation, the rotations can be high to low. Mm-hmm. So one of the wide forwards can rotate with an inside midfielder, which has often worked very well for my team. But um, I don't know if that kind of answers your question. I, I know I'm trying to... No, it, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult thing. As I told you before that we are, without a tactical move, yeah. it's kind of hard to, do, to show patterns yes, of yeah. play. So it's, it's, it's more an overview and an idea and um, I'm hoping that coaches are more can think uh, freely about and, and sort of a sort of a look try to see what's happening on the pitch when you're talking. But that is more important to me. Um, you know, they, they they definitely can understand when we use numbers on the pitch. Then that's it. You know. Yes. All right. So you spoke. There's an area you spoke about, and I want you to address that before we even finish with this discussion. Uh, you mentioned mindset, repetition, and patience. And I think that is, those three years are very critical, especially repetition. So let me hear what let me hear your views on those three areas that you mentioned in the article. Yeah, again, I suppose we always want to see what we what we train, what we practice, come to life in games. Mm-hmm. And again, it does depend on the age level, and not that the not not necessarily to say the older they get, 
the quicker they'll implement their training. And that's not true at all. I've seen younger ages do do equally as much. However, you have to respect and understand that players, teen, you know, teenage boys, girls, are uh, adolescent or young players. They have so much going on in games, mm-hmm. so much going on for themselves. Their confidence levels, moments in the game, they're reading the game. Maybe there's a lot of um, outside interference, sideline, coaches, parents. So their recall is not always going to be as you desire as a coach. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot going on for players. Mm-hmm. So I really believe in, one, creating habits for players. Yeah. So there's not that long, long-winded long think time, or you know, that they understand where they are in the field, what moment of the game is they is it is that and the habits that that they understand from those moments and again mindset again mindset is a huge one there's other words for that but really giving them that confidence or headspace or relieve them from their stresses so that they can when they need to be creative they can be mm-hmm. because players um especially at the more competitive levels as well the anxiety levels can go up quite high and once that happens the creativity the creative juices go down, right? So, I mean, but that's where we really want players and that's where they really shine and make their best decisions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is when, they're, when they have the best mindset mm-hmm. to be creative. That's why I say coming from the training ground, mm-hmm. practice it practice it there, preach it in games. Right, 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 right. And I, and I want to go to your words, your words in the article because I think it's important. You said it just now, but I want to say it in a different way now about the mindset. And it, it's important that... I, I'm glad you said it because this is one area of the game that I think players fall down in. Right? Mindset of discovery, facilitating a mindset of discovery and problem solving. How important is that? Because it's a different, you, you spoke about mindset, but I'm, I'm going to use your terminology. I can, and I would love for us to, to go there. Mindset of discovery and problem solving. What is it? Exactly. Exactly. It's something that you can only appreciate mm-hmm. uh, more and more as, as a coach as the years go by. You, you got, you, I mean, players, no matter what level they play, generally, no two decisions will ever be the same on the field. They may be close, they may resemble, maybe so, but generally, no. There's a different picture. There are options, they're reading, they're supporting players, the pressure, the, the, the timing on the ball, what side of the body to receive. There's so much going on mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that they got to be able to just trust themselves, trust in their faculties and be able to have the confidence to look up, not having to, not have to worry about checking the ball. Just take their touch, look up and, and, um, and, and be allowed them to be creative. And again, I think as coaches, I think we do 90%. We, we have 90% influence on that one. Uh, more than parents, I think, than uh, and teammates. It's because it's mostly us they don't want to let down. Right. So don't let them think <laughs> they're going to let you down yeah. by making a mistake. Yes. Tell them that the courage to make a mistake was what you appreciate them for. The, the courage to stop and try something different or, or um, using their reading of the game and it didn't come off perfectly. Tell them. I see what you were trying to do there, but it just didn't come off that time. Well done. I mean, help to create that mindset with, with your players, but it is crucial. Absolutely is crucial. And especially, you know, if you're looking to um, elite academies and uh, elite talent who, are lo- who already have that pressure on themselves to make a career, they really need a mentor close to them who, who will say, hey, you know, whatever, 10 steps forward, five steps back, no problem. Let's, mm-hmm. let's build on mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And that is over words <laughs> no, no, I, I love it I love it I, I want to read I'm going to read the exact thing you said in your article because I think this is a little bit profound for it it says uh, it's two things I want to read 
on the mindset, repetition, and patience. And it says, try not to hurry success too early. The more you hand over performance ownership to the player and create the correct mindset within the group, the sooner we'll see rewards of this training. Then the other, the other um, um, sentence says, facilitating a mindset of discovery and problem solving over error avoidance and forcing opportunities will significantly improve the player's learning as well to help create the desired outcome. I think that alone takes care of what a coach should look at approaching their coaching session. It's any level. I don't care if it's, if it's under 10, under 12, under 14, under 15, under yeah. 16. This paragraph alone on that mindset, repetition, and patience covers everything that a coach should pay attention to in, in their training. Yeah. I think that is very important. The facilitating a mindset of discovery and problem solving instead of wor worrying about making a mistake. Yes. I think that yeah. is important. Crucial. So the, 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 Absolutely the, crucial. Yeah, what it, does, what it does for me, Ian, is it, it, it gives ownership to the players in the training session. And, and you wrote that part of it, so you must have an opinion about that. I, I'm, I'm going to bring you back again. You, know, you wrote that, that <laughs> sentence, that, that a paragraph. Yeah. But that, that is so important. That is so important. Just give me your, your decision, your, your opinion on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even going to the word performance ownership, mm -hmm. Uh, Vin, one term I, uh, maybe people when they hear this initially might be a bit gobsmacked. Uh, trust me, I am doing my job, but don't worry about what I say to my players. When we go into something, I first of all, when we're training on a topic, technical, tactical, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. or a combination of both, which, it, which, you know, they are, generally whatever you're working on. I say to my players, coach yourself. Yes. Coach yourself. I can give you five, 10, 20 points in this session or over a block of sessions. But I know that's no good for you. Mm -hmm. It's what you seek to improve as a player is what will actually, is where you will actually improve. So if you came up to me at the end of, at, of your session and you said, you know what, coach, you made, you made a couple of points here today, but I could really only just focus on my, my, my body shape and being side on receiving the ball. I just wanted to work on that. So I say, no problem. All those other things, whatever it may be, communication, first touch, rotations, or um, all those other things, let's say it depends on what we're working on. But so long as they know that they have a huge responsibility to coach themselves, because what I see is that there's just this there's just this understood dogma that I try to break out of the players. Players think coach uses coach speak and players just play when we can. No, you, you we're really here to make this a high value and high performance environment. Mm -hmm. And my time with you is about guiding uh, that that learning and that discovery not to just say words that are correct and true mm -hmm. so you got to understand and, and bring that you know into your game so coach yourself is another word for performance ownership i love the conversation and you know as a coach i could go on for, forever discussing this oh yeah 100 years i know <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want a final word for you i know we went over it before but i always like to close with a, a reflection on the conversation. Takeaways. Yeah. yeah. So I want to I want to, to close off by explaining to coaches who are listening. Yes. In in your approach to training patterns of play, give me an idea of how they should go about doing it. I don't care what system. The methodology is just about the same. It just depends on the system that you're you're working with. I'm gonna train a pattern of play. What are some of the things I should consider going into my session or planning my session? Okay, 
unopposed mm-hmm. is always a good start. Okay. Then to maybe opposed with, uh, and then always, always, there needs to be a practice of a game realistic situation. Mm-hmm. So that could be a conditioned game with zones, with neutral players, mm-hmm. or it, it could be a phase of play where there's just total freedom, but the coach there is stepping in with his whistle. But the first thing I'd say is go right back to the start. Player buy-in is crucial. Right. They got to see that there's huge value to be to be had, and there's there's huge rewards for learning this. Now let's enter what we're talking about. These patterns of play, these three passes, guys. If these passes are perfect, and the timing of your runs are are, are done well, there's no defending that. Give them the belief. Give them the belief, and and they'll find it. They got to have that enthusiasm. That buy-in is crucial, and repetition on that. So don't expect success after one, two sessions, three sessions maybe. But definitely go from unopposed so they understand the relationship to each other in those passing and moving combinations. Then to maybe semi-opposed where you'll um, introduce one or two defenders in your pattern. And then maybe you'll gradually bring it in that inside that session to a conditioned game where it is now where we, like we say, well, let's not just play a game we've got everything we worked on if you score a goal off a pattern we just practiced it's what as much as i don't know an initiative three goals so creating an initiative or an incentive for the players to keep on that discovery to to identify those patterns so in a nutshell without going down to too many layers i would say unopposed to semi-opposed to opposed um unopposed uh drill or Sorry, I know that's that's become more of a dirty word these days in yeah. coaching and drill. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, but you know what I mean. Yes, a very yes. stop-start ABC approach into a game realistic practice. Help them discover it. Do we see where this option is now? Do you see how it's a reality in a game? Help them discover that and, again, create the incentive for for application. All right. Before you move on, as I said, I'm catering to different levels of coaches. Yeah. When you say game-related, how, how would be your session become game-related? Well, I would try and make it gradual. Yes. Not try, not try go from hot to cold too, mm-hmm. like like too too sudden. Right. Um, if we can make it gradual by going from unopposed, introduce gradually, um, defenders, and then so on. But a condition or a game realistic could be even a conditioned game, or even strip it back a bit. It could be. Um, I understand there's there's different under understandings for terminology, but let's say a drill. But a drill where there's this continuous, not just five seconds, it's over. This continuous maybe one minute of, of play. Or it could be three, uh, 3v2s, realistic 3v2s, or even those sorts of things. But generally for patterns, it's understood in relationship to defensive unit, midfield unit, forward unit. So it does require mm-hmm. uh, more of a full field of play. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Anything more that you wanted to add towards uh, the preparation of training sessions? I think that is. I think you covered a lot right there about you know going we from. Did. We from, definitely covered a lot. Yeah. I think yeah, I think that's important. You know the approach to it though, and and repetition is important, huh? Absolutely, it is. Um, mindset and buy-in. That's yeah. always say. Buy-in first and mindset to help create the success. Yes, I mean, uh, whatever you're doing, patterns yeah, or not. Yes. 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 And and um, I I want to leave them with that: uh, mindset, repetition, and patience. Uh, I want to tell my listeners that your article and articles can be found uh, in, the, in the Total Football Analysis magazine. 
It's a good read, listeners. Very, very good read. I get it every single day. It's, it comes into my box with different articles. They have magazines that by in, in month, January, February, March, and the April edition is out now. Yeah. Yeah. Great tactical analysis things and also coaching topics like this one about 4231. In the magazine, you'll see Ian's full demonstration with, with diagrams and showing you the different movements and what you can, uh, how you can apply it into your, in your training session. Uh, Ian, it's a pleasure having you. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, sorry, Vin, if I just jump in, yes, the, the patterns of play are actually online. On so that. they're on okay. the Total Football Analysis website. Um, so you can see them there. Uh, similarly, like the magazine, you subscribe, you get in. It's, it is a good price. It's, very, it's great value considering all the content that's up there. You also find it there, and likewise, if you can, uh, I'll leave a link on my Twitter if you want. It's at Easy Tactics, and you find me there. So yes. I can definitely link you anything there. Repeat that at, at Easy right. at Easy Tactics, right? Yeah. And you get what you want, guys. Uh, I guess you can leave messages where you, uh, there too at this Twitter. All right. So I just get once again thanks for coming on, and it's a pleasure. Absolutely, Vin. Uh, pleasure. Think. I think we got a lot of information from it, um, albeit we didn't have a tactical board. But what they can do now is go to the, this website and see everything that you're talking come to light with the diagrams. Hopefully we'll do this again, because I know you're always writing. So looking forward to you coming on. Yeah, next time, Vin. Yeah, man, definitely. All right, thanks much, man. Thanks, Vin. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of On the Sideline. I'm your host, Vin Blaine. Today, I'll be having a discussion on patterns of play in the 4-2-3-1 formation with Ian O'Neill, who writes for the Total Football Analysis magazine. Ian, who is originally from Dublin, Ireland, now works in Toronto, Canada, at various levels of the game. Hi, Ian. Thanks for joining me on the sideline. If you never thought about training patterns of play, I hope this conversation influenced you somewhat. Join me again next time when my guest will be Jean Cote discussing coaching for positive youth development. Thanks for listening. If you found value in the show, please share with your friends. We'd love to hear your views. So if you haven't already done so, please like, subscribe, and leave a review make sure to visit our website at onthesideline.net where you can access coaching sessions and more. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.